Hey, welcome to the RPC podcast. Today we have with us me, Redirected, Praxology, Red Curious, and our first time contributor, Juan the Baptist, but for short, we'll just call him John. Before we get started, can you explain to everyone what the link in the description is? It's going to be a quick form that you guys can fill out if you're interested in never jumping onto the podcast with any of us. For any of you guys that, are, that have specific questions that you want answers to or feel like your situation is uh, unique, probably not, but it wouldn't hurt <laughs> to have one of us tell you that straight up. Or if you guys feel like you have something valuable that you want to weigh in on uh, one of our podcasts, take a minute, fill that out, and then... Uh, we'll be able to get back to you guys pretty quickly with uh, a time, a date, and um, coordinate our schedules to get you guys on. Topic we're going to talk about today is something that we've complained about in the past, but stick with us here. We're going to come up with a solution. We're going to talk about what we can do to change this. John, I'm going to start with you, and we're just going to get a baseline here. How do you view the average Christian man at your church? I guess it depends on how we're going to define average, but I've been seeing kind of a negative trend of becoming more conformative, worrying, rise of social media, and how much people care about their image, more of a just trying to fit in status quo. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I've gone to a bunch of new churches. I've gone to a bunch of new states in California and Canada. Kansas, everywhere. It's all the same. You get these guys that I don't know if I want to call them soy boys, but they're weak, tubby. They obviously don't lift and they obviously don't care about the way they look. Just from looking at the way people talk at RPC, we have people from not only all over the country, but all over the world. I definitely see a lot of similar comments being refrained over and over and over again. Let's me think that it's not just our area. The problem is, is that it's kind of mirroring society in general in the sense that we're going to the extremes in everything. Right. So even if you look at like the call it like average Christian person or Christian man for, for this conversation, you're either going to have this soy boy, sissy type kind of conforming to everything, or you're going to have this just completely gnarly off the grid in every type of conspiracy theory and just hellfire and brimstone type individual which doesn't really do any good either. And we're, you know, we're, we're kind of being pushed into, into extremes on both ends and we're losing what a, a genuine Christian should be because we're just digging our heels in way too far in either direction. I'm going to add another trope to that, and it's the Ned Flanders Christian. This is my least favorite Christian, the dude that is completely worried about witness that doesn't care about how effective he is. I feel like I talk to Ned Flanders about once every time I go to church. He's the dude that tells you, oh, you can't drink alcohol because you're going to hurt your witness. Oh, you can't be looking at other women because you're going to hurt your witness. Oh, well, wait, I can't watch the Disney channel because I'm going to hurt my witness. I am so tired of Ned Flanders. I don't know if you guys ever come upon him, but he sucks. Yeah, but then you just grab your ultimate tool, which is the Bible, and you hit him with, was Jesus hurting his witness when he was hanging out with tax collectors and whores and to different terrible people that at the time, people were pointing at him and saying, who are you hanging out with? Why are you hanging out with the scum of the earth? You should be hanging out with us. We're so perfect, and we pray and give all this extra money and if they're really going to use that logic, then they themselves are basically condemning Jesus and how he lived. Me and Prax have talked about this before, and you have to think, who is rebuking you and why? You want to be above reproach, sure. I don't want to be a reproach because I'm doing something that's against the Bible. But if you're reproaching me for something that isn't in the Bible, you can go down a rabbit hole. You can start reproaching me for having long hair, for watching rated R movies. You're just going to start boiling Christian men down to women. It bums me out that we have this image of Ned Flanders who doesn't want to say a curse word or have a seltzer because he's afraid that he's going to get in trouble. The bigger issue is they're too worried about pointing out the speck in the other person's eye. And what they should be focusing on is building each other up, right? There's obviously going to be opportunity to have constructive criticism or to be able to help out your fellow Christian as far as saying, hey man, you know what I mean? Doing this type of thing maybe isn't the best look, or that's probably not going to really help with what we're overall trying to do. But also spending too much time pointing those negative things out, we should be building each other up. Because I think that is one thing that we all inherently look for. Joked in our life that when your dad was to laugh at one of your jokes, 
or to build you up. It felt like an angel was laughing, right? Really looking for that validation. And among men, one of the things that we really need to have is building each other up, pointing out positive or what is something that's really good that we bring to the table and how we force that and let them know, hey, it's outstanding that you do this and part of our group that we have. Really, really appreciate you doing this. Sure, there's some other things we can work on, but having that validation and building people up on the things that they're really good at is something that we're really missing at this point. And it, it goes back to image and look how great I am. And it's all you know, self-centered and we're not really being selfless in the way we help each other. Does building each other up always mean being positive? As someone who's a manager, right, I kind of have a sandwich way of talking to people. Or my ultimate goal is to build the individual up. I may start with something positive in the beginning, sandwiching some kind of crappy news where they, I got to have the talk with them. And then maybe finish it off with something encouraging. That way you're getting the holistic picture where you're not just babying them, right? Making it super positive. You're also hitting the right stuff. Ultimately finding a way when you're building someone up to show the intent is there, that it's a positive intent, right? Even though it may not be the, the most flattering of conversations or the, maybe a little bit of a difficult talk to have, as long as you're able to show your intent, try and again, build each other up. That's going to gain a lot. Right. So in other words, you're saying be tactful right? It's a matter of don't just overly sugarcoat things to a point where, where anybody hearing is going to not take the message that's being given versus the other extreme of just bluntly reaming into somebody in a way that they're not going to want to receive it because they're just going to get defensive. There's a form of tact that needs to be involved where you can find that middle point. And the sandwich method is a very popular one. It's one that I've encouraged a lot of my clients to use as well. Start with something nice, give them the meat of the difficult issue you want them to chew on, and then you, you end with something nice as well, just so that way it's beginning on a good and bad note. Tact plays a lot in how we're going to communicate to people and build them up even in the midst of their need for some serious change. Yeah, I would just add though that what we're missing in today is we are too soft, right? There's definitely got to be tact involved, especially with certain men. There needs to be some real come to Jesus talks. You need to really be able to kind of lay into them. There are too many men that get in their feelings, right? And that, that's not where we need to be as men. Right, you're talking to the right crowd, bro. That's what we're all about. We see these Ned Flanders. We see these soy boy Christians. And I'm pissed, man. I'm tired of going to these churches and getting a limp handshake that's wet and sitting there and singing about how I want Jesus inside of me. I want something different. So we have this baseline of what a Christian man acts like when he goes to church. Okay, I'm done with that. So what we need to do is we need to go to these churches and we need to have an influence on them. I'm going to open this question up to you, Red Curious. When we go to a new church, what can we do to have an influence, be it on a small group, on a Bible study, or on the church at large? There's a lot of different ways that you can earn influence. And there's a great book by John Maxwell and it's called Becoming a Person of Influence. One of the things that is talked about in the book itself is the fact that leadership in itself is influence. It is not a position or a title or a demand or a power. It is the influence that you have. And you can acquire influence in a number of different ways. Power is one of those ways. We don't see Jesus garnering influence through power, right? He has power. He could easily summon angel armies at his whims to go strike down the Romans and the Pharisees and everybody. And he could have influenced the world through the power technique. But instead, he influences people through being just who he is. A lot of the positivity and uplifting aspects, well, at the same time, withholding his power and using a more alluring way to get people to realize the discrepancy between the way he wanted to lead people versus how other people went. One of the things that John Maxwell talks about in the book, which is most fascinating to me, is he was coaching an elder board. And as he's in this meeting, they're going through something particularly difficult. They didn't know what to do. And so they all start looking to John and he says, I'm just here to observe right now. I want to see what you guys do with this. So the pastor is trying to get all of these elders on board with something nobody was really going along with. And then all of a sudden there's one guy who had been 
quiet the entire meeting. He kind of scratches his head and looks over. And as soon as he starts talking, everybody's on board with him. And it's not that what he said was particularly wise or powerful or insightful. And he certainly didn't have any more authority than the elders or especially the pastor, but he still commanded the influence of the room. Whatever he said went. And, and John Maxwell says in the book, I knew immediately he was the one who was leading this church, not the pastor. When we're looking at how can we make solutions a lot of people want to give up way too easy because they think I'm not the pastor. I can't change and influence this congregation just as a standard layperson. I have a day job. He's the guy preaching from the pulpit. Of course, he's going to have more influence than me. But I don't think that's the case. And I have experienced that in my own life that I have on a number of occasions been able to earn influence, if not with an entire congregation, at least within certain groups within a congregation, to be able to guide people in following Jesus, even in the midst of a pastor or elder board or a leadership team that might otherwise have, I don't want to be cruel, but just flat out wrong ideas about what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to open this question up to you, John. You lead a team, you're a manager. Let's say you were to walk into a brand new team. What are some tools that you use to influence that team? One of the things I've been kind of blessed with in my career in life is that I've been a part of a lot of horrible teams and had a lot of terrible managers and being able to live off those experiences. There have been times where I remember thinking, I cannot wait to be a manager so I can be exactly the opposite of this. And one of the things that anybody who's worked in the professional world is, has experienced at some point is not feeling like they've been heard or that their opinion matters, that they're just some boots in the ground individual. One of my tools that I usually use is, even if it's someone that works for the person that works for me, two layers down from me or three layers down from me, I always make it a point to get to know them individually. You can always find something that you guys can get along with, whether it's football or food or music or something. Once you get to know that individual, know what their strengths and weaknesses are, you can then strategically place them in different areas where they're going to thrive. So maybe they're not the most eloquent when they're speaking, but they're incredibly technical. You may want to put them in a technical area that doesn't require them to be forward-facing speaking, but they're going to get the job done there. Where you may have someone that may be really good at speaking, they've just been kind of nervous. So it's just finding out that individual, getting to know them individually, and then finding out the best places to put them. You want to make those relationships and then find ways you can utilize those relationships, let's say outside of work. Exactly. Because as I've done that over the past decade, I've been able to find out that there are so many hidden talents, so many hidden gems, where it's kind of like, you know, in the School of Rock, where that one girl that at the end asked if she could sing and Jack Black gave her a, a moment, and then all of a sudden she blew his socks off. There are so many people like that, then maybe all they need is someone to encourage them or someone to treat them like a human being and talk to them. And the next thing you know, you're getting, wow, I have this rock star. I had no idea. And it doesn't have to be a manipulative. I'm doing this so that I can use that person later. It's just a general philosophical premise that the more people that you love and build relationships with, the more resources and social network you have available to you. Whether or not you're doing that intentionally just to increase your influence capacity in the world, Fine, you can do that too. Or you can just be a loving person and have the exact same advantage. And the whole goal of it for me, and I kind of use this as a mantra on my teams, is there's nothing that makes me happier than growing individuals and helping them become the best version of themselves. Even if that means they get promoted past me, right? So in life, if you're able to help encourage someone and bring out the best in them, that's only going to ultimately benefit everybody around us, right? In our group, whether it's in a church group or whatever it is, we're finding out what makes them tick, what they're good at, and we grow it. It's only going to benefit everybody else. And sure, if collaterally, someone like myself was to, to benefit from it. Great. But overall, the, the group itself is benefiting. Right. You ever see the show Ted Lasso? I have not. Such a great show. So Ted Lasso is this soccer coach over in Europe. He's never had anything to do with soccer in his life, but is drawn into coaching this team. There's this one character who keeps grating on his nerves and he keeps trying to help him and trying to help him. And eventually that guy gets kicked off the team. On the other team he goes to scores this 
game-winning shot that totally crushes Ted's team. Ted's response is to send him a note afterwards saying, way to make that extra pass. And even though this guy was acting against Ted's team, you still had this sense that, hey, he was doing it for the players, not for the win. And he loved and cared about this character. And I've seen that come back, that exact attitude work in my favor a number of times where the more that I love people and try to demonstrate, I care about you. I'm not just trying to use you. Even if they don't immediately come back into my life, I've seen that happen. For example, one person who I knew very well at college had no real connection with him there. And I knew that he wasn't somebody I was ever going to be close to. I spent some time trying to build that relationship and showing him love. There were some conflicts. One point, it had been years. He moved on with life, hadn't seen him for a long, long time. And then suddenly, turns out he's living in my area. And next thing I know, he's now probably my best friend who lives locally here. A lot of that stemmed from the fact that when we were in college together, I was able to demonstrate that to him, right? And that influence stuck around so that when we reconnected, there was a foundation there that wouldn't have existed if it hadn't been established in the first place. There is a value, whether you can foresee how it's going to be playing out or not, in just being able to work with people and love on them. And that influence will grow even in ways that you may never see it. I think of somebody like Abraham was told that he would have this mighty nation flowing from him. And he never saw it. He saw his son. I don't remember if he saw his grandchildren before he passed away, but he saw his son, Isaac. He never saw the mighty nation. The fact that he didn't necessarily see it on earth doesn't mean that God wasn't following through and blessing his effort and expanding his influence throughout the world, despite his own ignorance. I'm going somewhere with this. So yeah, we want to go to taking you way off topic with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I like it. We want to go to our small groups. We want to go to our Bible studies. We want to go to our churches and we want to have an influence on people. I'm looking ahead. I'm looking at our future. I see our country becoming bluer and bluer. I see these new laws coming out. I see gas crises, inflation. And I wonder where can I invest? Can I put money in gold and silver? And can I protect myself that way? Maybe. Can I buy Bitcoin and protect myself that way? Maybe. But can I invest in other brothers and sisters within my church and create these relationships and ultimately create this tribe of people? Can I do that to protect myself in the future? In the United States, things have been good for the past 200 years. Things haven't always been great for Christians. I'm a pretty bold believer in what I believe in and what I stand for. And I've been talking with friends about this lately. And it's getting to the point where for the longest time, we could watch the news and, and see a lot of this craziness going on, but not have it super directly affect us, right? Where they're line hasn't truly been crossed you know they're not telling my son he needs to wear a dress to school eventually when that that time does come i'm just going to lean forward and standing with the, the truth that i have whether that means that i have to put my son at homeschooling whether that means that i have to lose my job whatever it is there's nothing that's going to compromise my faith and my values so there's nothing on this earth that can possibly be handed to me or that's valuable enough to me where i'm going to compromise my faith and my beliefs obviously being strategic and we you know, go through maybe specific examples of things like you said with school and when it gets to a point where my child is telling me that he's being completely indoctrinated and not having any opportunity to phase out of it, that I would, in that specific situation, find a solution, whether it be homeschooling or whatnot. Every single day at work now, it's, it's becoming more and more woke. Manager training is becoming more and more ridiculous, but that doesn't change to I am. It's kind of standing firm in it. Ultimately, like you said, we're going to start to get to a place of real persecution because persecution, we could talk about it from a soy boy point of view of Oh, well, someone said that I'm a bigot because I'm a Christian. You can call me a bigot all day long. I'll get it tattooed on my forehead. I don't care. It's when it's going to really affect my family and my well-being is when I'm going to really actually care. And I think probably in the next decade or so, we're going to really start to test 
the backbones of Christians and who really has faith, who really doesn't. And there will be certain situations where we may have to find our own place to work or our own place to gather or, or group up. We do have the ultimate faith that things are going to get bad, but eventually Jesus is going to come back. We win at the end of everything. If we look at the next 10 years and the persecution sucks, it's just going to be a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And if you look at the Bible and look at the persecution that the apostles went through and the disciples went through and different things of that nature, I don't ever see us having to go through that. So it's not anything that hasn't happened already. And it's not anything that we can't have faith that we're not going to be brought through. I practice. I've got a question for you. When it comes to building your tribe or gathering men around you who are good, strong believers, do you think it's more effective for us to find men that are already like that or to build them up ourselves? Well, you're definitely not going to find them pre-built. <laughs> you can't just go to the church and find a base dude that wants to be your bro? No, I, I think if you did, you wouldn't find them in the church. The places that you can, some of the young men that I'm working with, I'm starting to see pieces and bits and identity things in them where it's they're actually valuing what they are saying they're valuing instead of trying to either give me the church answer or trying to give me what I want to hear like the young man I'm working with primary kid there are times where he'll say something and it'll be something that I literally say that comes out of his mouth he's not doing it at the with the purpose of trying to make me happy or something but you can tell when he's talking it's something that he earnestly believes and then his behavior is becomes an extension of that partially there's an aspect of you are going to have to raise the type of guy that is not only effective at reproducing his faith but that is also strong enough to handle the constant barrage of frame attacks personality and I'm forgetting what the word is but basically like you're uh, uh what's the what's the word for like the how people view you they just try they try to attack your integrity your idiom no they, just keep going bro I, I'm, I'm working on it okay I'm, <laughs> I'm emotionally constipated yeah i can tell when people start attacking who you are as a person image yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. your image when they're doing image destruction or character destruction being able to not you don't immediately jump in on that and immediately try to deer or try to fix all of broken pieces. One of the big phenomenon that's been in, in the news the last couple of years is Jordan Peterson. See, almost every single time he goes on to some talk show or something like the Kathy Newman thing, where you can blatantly see someone is trying to misrepresent him or destroy a portion of his character unjustly. I mean, you can have legitimate criticisms of him when people are doing it out of trying to be like sneaky uh, almost every single time it's fallen back on them and he's gotten more notoriety more i would assume subscribers from those events at the present time there's not a single guy that i know in the church so i'm gonna push back on that a little bit and say rpcs is an example of all the men that are disassociated at their churches and they're unhappy and they're reading why do men hate going to church and they're posting where can i find other like-minded believers we're out there. We're just pretty rare. That brings me to a question for you, Red Curious. So we know how to find someone that's going to be a good disciple. We want them to be fast, faithful, available, saved, and teachable. But what about someone that we want to add to our friends group? Someone that we don't necessarily want to disciple, but we want to include, like, you know, we're having a barbecue. We'll have them come over. The blue helmets come over. We need someone to cover our six. How do you find someone that isn't just fast, but is going to be a good part of your group. It depends on your tolerance threshold. Some people really have high expectations. If I want to be friends with this person, they better be just like me. 
And you're probably not going to find anybody who's just like you. The reality is, I don't know how fun that would be to spend time with just yourself all the time. Sure, it's great to have some common values, but you know, some of the best conversations I've had with friends are when we are just jabbing back and forth over petty arguments, over stupid things that we disagree on, just because it's fun. So there's an, a sense of having differences of thought and opinion that's certainly appropriate. So it's not that hard to find people who you can jive pretty well with, who have differences of thought and opinion from you. If you're thinking, no, I really do have to have somebody who can think and talk at my level on this or that, or who can lift as much as I lift, or who really shares my passion for this or that, right? And that's not always easy to find, it's not, especially in the modern age. It's not so simple as just walking into a church group and finding, oh, that guy loves lifting. I, I bet we could lift together. Yeah, it's you're probably not going to find that in most church groups because it's really not that big of a hobby. And if people, even the ones who are focused on health, it's oftentimes, like we've said before, a lot of running or whatever. The key here is you're going to have to build them up from scratch yourself. And some of that is letting the relationship evolve naturally. If you are just a socially skilled person and you have the tolerance for a lot of the differences and you can adapt yourself to things that they enjoy as they learn to adapt to things that you enjoy too. But more often what I found to be most successful is just to spend time with people in a context where you're influencing them to be more like Christ, like you are like Christ. And that helps cover over those differences and build the bond between you. I'm personally of the mind that if you start looking for other believers that are like you, if you start building up other men, you start working with high school kids and teaching them to be like you, you're going to start to have an abundance of men in your tribe, in your group, in your Bible study that are based. I'm still working getting to that point, but I have no doubt that I'm going to. I would be remiss if I didn't ask Prax this question. We know Prax is all about energy. You can see his post on RPC. Prax, what do we do when a man joins our group, our Bible study, and they're poisonous? They just either add too much energy, they take too much energy away from the group, they just suck to be around. Do we just have to suck it up and be like, ah, I guess we got to keep this person here that's totally draining the energy, or can we kick them out of our group? I personally am a just kick them. I don't think that that's necessarily representative of how everybody would feel. Is it a matter of rehabbing these guys? They need to work on their energy? Obviously, people that are like that, and I'm assuming you're talking about some of the most disingenuous, cancerous, poisonous people. And those are people that need to be individually changed by the spirit. And there's not a whole lot that can be done. I don't know, bro. Having a Ned Flanders in my group would be poison to me. It would literally be the opposite of building me up. It would take me down. What am I supposed to do with that guy? Can I just tell him, uh, don't come to the barbecue, bro. You kind of suck. There's a fundamental split there. So if we're just talking about people who are generally bummers, <clears throat> you can definitely still put them in positions where they can almost force them to add energy to the group, or at the very least, through them inadvertently making fun of themselves, you can build up the energy of a crowd. But usually you have to be pretty tactful and skillful at conversating with somebody in order to do that. It kind of reminds me of what John was saying, where you find someone that's not a good talker in your group and you just put them at a tech job. John, do you ever have anyone at your company that kind of sucks at what they're doing and you have to find a way to work around that? Or can you just fire them? It happens all the time, right? I've dealt with it plenty of times. There's a whole escalation to it. You know, I'm not a big fan of, oh, this person's a bummer, so let's just take it into the curb. Because, you know, I can speak personally, at a certain point in my adult life, I was a super bummer D-bag myself. I was just kicked to the curb by my friends instead of, you know, being patient with me. Who knows where I would be? 
So there, there needs to be a certain layer and, and level of escalation and talking with that individual, figuring out why they're acting like that, where they're at in their life. What is the context around it? The person may be acting like a total douche and then you get to know them and realize their marriage is falling apart. Parents just got a divorce or something horrible and they're kind of taking it out on the group because that's just their way of dealing with it. And Are maybe those they need legit to excuses though? Is it your responsibility to continue to bear the weight of their problems? Well, and that's what I'm saying is it's not like giving it as some kind of carte blanche. Oh, well, that's okay. You can be a douchebag, but it's at least getting context to it and, you know, figuring out, is this just an individual type of thing where you're, you're lashing out and you just need to talk about it? Or is this just fundamentally who you are, but not a big fan of, of the proverbial, let's just chop and kick them to the curb. Because again, that's not like something Jesus did, right? If you, look, if you look at all the different people that he initially went to go talk to, whether it's Saul of Tarsus, people had horrible backgrounds. And if you look at that individual, who knows how they would have acted in the beginning? Or even as soon as Peter denied Jesus three times, are they just going to kick him to the curb and go, oh, this guy's toxic because totally denied Jesus three times, bro. Let's get him the hell out of here. Got to be certain context. So we're all human beings. We all need to look into each individual situation. And, and the ultimate thing is having a strong leader in that group. It's able to kind of have a command presence, like that was said earlier, sort of understand where that group is going, the different personalities in there and where that individual fits. And if there is any way that this can be remedied, maybe they need to be involved in a different fashion. Maybe they need to have a talk with individual people. Maybe, they, you know, you need to have an individual talk with them. It's kind of nuanced. It has to go down to the individual. Sometimes I reflect on my own life and look at the certain points where I was partying too much or just being an idiot. You know, I was always the oldest in my family. I didn't really have a good relationship with my father until I was later in life. And if I really just had some older male masculine type mentor that sat me down, grabbed me by the shoulders and said, chill out, what are you doing? Like got a better foundation to this and let's talk and let's figure out how to be better. I probably would have taken to that, but you know, I, I, I never really had that sort of figure for most of my life. I kind of was just flying by the seat of my pants and just living in a very sinful nature because that's what was came, came naturally to me and try to take that proactive step now knowing what i know is if i identify another person in that situation where they may come off as a certain way at least try that with them right try to try to grab them by the shoulders try to figure them out not everybody's fixable right sometimes you got to kick the rocks from your sandals and bounce but at least giving them the opportunity because you never know you, you may have someone that's being an idiot maybe their brain's still forming or maybe they've been through some stupid stuff and you sit them down you give them kind of a splash of cold water to the face and they get dialed in i'm going to practice some of my active listening here with what all of you guys have said first off you can join a group you can join a bible study whatever and not be the leader but still have an influence on that group second it's up to you to raise these men either they're 16 and they need to learn you need to teach them or re-raise men so he might be 30 or 40 and he's just taking the blue pill and he doesn't know yet. We have to, as Christians, start building our own tribes, finding these young guys. We have to start finding these older guys that we can make more base, that we can make, you know, we'll take him to the gym. I, I challenge anybody on our Bible study every morning. I challenge people, find someone at church, find someone at your Bible study and ask them not to go to coffee. Don't take them to a coffee shop. Ask them to do something rock climbing. Ask them to go cycling. Ask them to go jogging with you. Start being the change you want to see in your church, being an influence on the men around you and start building a tribe because as Christians, pretty soon we're going to need it. And we're not going to have any choice but to create these relationships. And what I would add to that is in any, any of those situations, pushing self-accountability. That's one of the things that's missing. And it's probably part of all those personalities, the, the toxic individuals. And like I brought up the collateral things in their life that may be leading to that. But ultimately teaching the individual that they're the ones that are responsible for themselves. They're the ones that are responsible for growing themselves. That We're here to help build them up. Bro, if you're part of uh, Red Pill Christians like we were, you'd be doing something called OIS. And that's a weekly post we do where you own your sin. 
and you put it all out there for everyone else to see and critique. But that's a great point. Start owning okay. your sin. Start being accountable. That's outstanding. Yeah, that's definitely the aspect of what I call is one of the core fundamentals of, of being a man. And it's even like in the Jocko Willink book where it's extreme ownership. Once you're able to specifically own your own faults, your own situations in life and realize that the variables in your life, the impact they have is what you decide it has and how you're going to react to it. When we're having these conversations with other people, understanding that, yeah, they can, they can lean on each other, they can lean on the word and whatnot, but it's going to be up to them. In the whole conversation, there's a passage that comes to mind, something that my disciple had shared with me at one point is Isaiah 45, two through three, God is speaking, I will go before you and level the exalted places or in some translations and level the mountains. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. What he's going for there is this idea that, you know, I will give you the treasures of darkness, the riches or the hordes stored in secret places, breaking down the bars of iron and the, the doors of bronze. All of that is saying there are tasks that seem insurmountable. And when I look at the church a lot of people will tell me it's never going to change. And in fact, this is the whole mentality of the secular red pill, right? Which is you can't change the system. All you can do is make the system work for you. I don't know that I buy into that because I do believe that God can break down bars of iron and, and tear apart doors of bronze. When my discipler taught me this passage, he specifically said, you know, there's a lot of people who I never thought would be following Jesus today. And when I saw them walking down the road one day, I had written them off in my head without even thinking about it. I just subconsciously had written them off as that person's never going to follow Jesus. They're not part of my ministry. I'm not even going to give them the time of day. And then sure enough, when he would make a conscious decision to say, no, I take that back. I am going to pursue this person, even if it doesn't seem like somebody that I can expect to follow Jesus this way. He started working with them and sure enough, they became a believer. And he would tell me story after story about how he would uh, start discipling these guys. And then they would go off and become these missionaries in other countries or go on staff with Christian organizations that were making more disciples. And it was just a beautiful thing to see, right? And, and to hear these stories about these unexpected people that you never would have guessed. And I think that the same thing applies in our small groups. And I'll tell you the way that I've lived a lot of these principles myself is in the last several congregations that I've been a part of where I've gotten to know people through whether through small groups or uh, through classes that I've taught or anything of that nature is I always start as a passive listener. So for the first few weeks, couple months even, it's just a matter of get to know the lay of the land, understand the culture of what you're working in, because you don't want to start stepping on people's toes too early and walk in with this dominant, I know how to fix everything and I'm going to change you all. Well, that's not going to help anybody. Uh, but you get to know the lay of the land and how people interact. And then you find ways to fit into the culture. So you start participating, you build relationships with people, you get to know them on their own terms, the same way that Jesus, when he was engaging with people who were in the communities that he was ministering to would meet them where they're at and engage with them on their terms. It wasn't, it was sometimes come follow me, but a lot of times it was, I'm going to your house and we're going to have dinner together and I'm going to meet you where you're at. Eventually, as people start building those relationships, you have the influence as the relationship grows. And as people see not only that you are a fun enjoyable person to be around, but also that you have something of value to contribute to their eternal well-being then that puts you in a position of influence and power that you can now start helping people follow Jesus the way that God intended. Add in, we need to edit in a little mic drop after that. <laughs> All right. I got my wife a six pack of seltzers, so I better go take advantage of that. Red Curious, could you close us out in prayer? Sure. 
Father, it's so good to uh, have time with you and the boys, and I, I really wish that I had more of this these past few months. I, I've, I've been really lacking in my male bonding and fellowship, but I, I really love having that again. And so I ask that you would make me diligent in pursuing that now that I have the capacity once more and that you would help to bond not just uh, me with other guys, but them to each other, uh, that all would be as one just as uh, you know, you're in us and you know, not to sound all weirdo, but John 17 and all, that, that we would be in each other as well. And so I ask that you would uh, give us a, a tribe that we can build up and that we, having already had some form of a tribe right now that we're talking through and, and, and connecting with each other on, that that will continue to grow and multiply into your world and nations. Amen.